Thank you for downloading or streaming this message from Emmanuel Church. We are one church with multiple locations, and we believe God wants to bless you right where you are. In a few moments, you're going to hear some practical teaching from God's Word that I believe will be inspiring and relevant to your life. First, though, if you haven't yet experienced Emmanuel Live, we encourage you to go to our website, eclife.org, to check out our service times and locations so that you can experience Emmanuel in person or through our online campus. If this message blesses you and you'd like to support the ministry financially, again, you can go to eclife.org and click on the Giving tab and choose Online Campus at your campus. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope this message will be an encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. I really love that second song that we play because it's so beautiful and the words are so powerful and people get into it. But there's that part where it dips and people start clapping and then they realize it's still going. And they're like, ooh, I gotta dance out of this one because it's still going. We're still praising. And you can hear it like I'm in the front row and I can hear it. And I, and I know you guys are doing it in the background because I did it yesterday. And I was just like, oh, not, not it, not the right time. But hey, thank you for coming out. Really appreciate it. How many of you have already put your Christmas decorations away? You monsters. My wife is the exact same way, though. She gets so hyped for Christmas. She gets so up for it. We drive around. We go downtown. We look at the lights. We go to the circle. And then at 12.01 on December 26th, we're out. Put it to the shed. Bury it. Kill it. Christmas is dead. We're out. So I'm glad to know she's not the only one that does that. I hope that you had a very Merry Christmas. I hope you had an amazing time with your family and your kids. I hope you ate your weight, your body weight and spiral sliced ham. I hope it was magical for you. But as we look towards the new year, I do want to caution you just a little bit to not fly into the new year quite so quickly. I should probably introduce myself. Hi, my name's Cody. I'm the campus pastor here at the Emanuel Church Greenwood Campus. I would like to welcome anybody that's joining us online at our multi-sites or our micro-sites. Thank you so much for tuning in. Can we give it up for Let's give him a little clap. Yes. I'm sure you all look tremendous. Now, before we dive right into the new year, it's a very easy time of of year to do that because we're thinking about our new goals and our new resolutions, and we're looking at 2020, but I want us to take a second and look back, not just at this year because we're getting ready to move out of this decade which is crazy to think about. Some of us have been so busy, so caught up in everything that we've completely forgotten that the 2010s are coming to an end and another decade is ending. I know that because I've talked to some of you, whether you're on staff, whether you're regular attenders at our church, you've said, you know what? You are right. The 2010s are over. My goodness, where did it go? Yes, we are ending a decade. And as we look forward, I want you to think about your own life and how it went. So the question I pose to you is, how did your decade go? It's a fair question. It's 10 years. Did you progress in any areas? Are you happy with how the decade went? Did you regress in other areas? So maybe your spending is getting a little bit better. Maybe your parenting has gotten a little bit better. Maybe you actually had a kid this past decade, or maybe your job is not going so well. Maybe things aren't going as as good as you hoped that they would. Because when you think about the passage of time when it comes to a decade, the average life expectancy for a man in the United States is 79 years. Ladies, you are stronger than men, you're wiser than men, you're smarter than men, you're faster, you're survivors. Your average life expectancy is actually two more years. You live to be 81 years of age. So let's give it up for the ladies in the house today. Ladies like, yes, praise him. Now I'm going to get on you ladies and saying I'm a little upset with you. I'm going to tell you why in just a little bit. But when you think about what a decade represents in your life expectancy for men, it's about 12.6% of your life. For women, it's about 12.3% of your life. So if you average it out, about 12.5% of your life has just passed you by in the past decade. How crazy is that? 
And you think about all these things that have happened, there have been so many different things that have happened in the past 10 years. Now I get to share with you some of those things. And I'm really excited because today I have props. Normally I don't have props, I don't have stuff to use. So this is like a very exciting thing for me. But you think about the past 10 years and all of the things that have happened, all of the things that have changed. You think about smartphones. This is an iPhone 3. This is what iPhones looked like 10 years ago. Look how small this thing is. How are you supposed to answer any emails on this thing? It's awful. Now they're like as big as the top of my finger. Like, geez, Louise, it's so tiny. I don't know if you're, if you're like me, but 10 years ago, I was still in college. I actually didn't have a smartphone yet. I had a flip phone and I had one of these bad boys. You know what's inside this puffy black case? It's a digital camera. I was searching through my closet and I actually still had my digital camera from college, which includes a wrist strap because Kodak didn't trust me enough to take a picture without spiking it on the ground. Do you know how long it took to upload a photo from one of these to Facebook? Roughly seven hours. <laughs> so if you look at my Facebook now, like, man, he only had like two pictures back in 2000, geez, back in 2010. It's because it didn't want to mess with this thing. And it's got the, the puffy case. It's got the rechargeable batteries, the memory disk, because the camera only held like one picture. There's been so much that's happened with phones. Some of you had Blackberries. My fingers were always too fat for the Blackberry buttons. You think about music in the past 10 years, 10 years ago, people were still using CDs, trying to burn the perfect CD right on the front with Sharpie. You got one opportunity. If you messed up the Sharpie, you had to burn the CD again. It was a terrible experience. I talked to a guy that was on staff. He was a younger guy. He was like, yeah, you know, I've actually never owned a CD. Are you kidding me? You, you've never had a CD. I've got like three in my car right now. I went home and I had a bunch of cream corn because I was a thousand years old. Like I felt so old. After he said that, I was like, oh, I'm out of touch. I'm losing it. You think about the way that we listen to music now. Everybody has AirPods now. Some of you can't wait to lose the AirPods that you got for Christmas. You're so excited. They're tiny and they fit in your ear. Look at these monstrosities. There's like leather on the padding. Look at these headphones. They're plastic. There's this giant anaconda cord. Some of you are probably thinking, I still have headphones like that. Me too. Why do you think I brought them? Now, ladies, here's why I'm going to get on you just a little bit. I'm actually wearing an article of clothing that has changed significantly, especially for men in the past 10 years. I'd like you to guess what that is. Online, you can play along as well. What am I wearing that's changed? Jeans, your doggone right, the jeans have changed. Yes, they've changed. Why have they changed? 10 years ago, for men, jeans were very, very unforgiving. There was no flex. There was no give in the fabric of the pants. Once you were in them, you were in them, and that was it. The waistline was the waistline. There was no stretching. But now, with the introduction of flex fabric, anytime I want to hit the elevator and take it to the bottom floor, I can do it. <laughs> I'm down here all day, baby. All day. You know why? Because we've got flex jeans, flex khakis, flex whatever, and it's amazing. Ladies, why did you hold out for so long? In the Bible, it says, don't hide your light under a basket. You held, you held it for so long. You have yoga pants, you have stretch pants, you have jeggings. You knew about this and you said nothing. <laughs> but I'm gonna forgive you. I'm gonna take the elevator back up. <laughs> but it's so happy. Technology is amazing. I can work out in these pants. I can do anything. I can conquer the world in these jeans because of the flex fabric and the change in the past decade. Like I said, I was still in college 10 years ago, making some bonehead decisions. I wasn't getting drunk. I wasn't getting high. I just would do dumb things. I was on the way back from the shower one day. I'm going back to my room. My roommate broke code. He didn't leave the door cracked. He went to class. So my, my phone, my keys, everything is in the room. I'm locked out. The RA's gone. Everybody on the floor is gone because they're at class. They're getting breakfast. I had the late class that morning. 
So I'm a rule follower and I got a choice to make now. I can either take my loss, I can either email the professor when I get back in the room, say, yeah, I got locked down, I'm going to have to remake the quiz. Or on the other side of my rule following brain, I can walk outside wearing nothing but a towel and sandals, go to campus services, get the key, unlock it, and take the quiz. So naturally I did what any logical sane person would do, and I left my dorm half naked. <laughs> when Vikings would conquer new lands, and when they would arrive on the beach, they would burn the boats so that there was no chance for them to go back and, and return to the land that they had left. When I left my dorm room, I burnt my boat to the ground because the door locked behind me. So we were committed at that point. So I started walking with nothing but a towel and my shower sandies, my left thigh exposed. And we're just walking and I'm doing good. Everything's great. I'm half naked. Try not to get arrested for indecent exposure. And I don't see anybody. All is pretty quiet on the campus. And then out of nowhere, there's this guy that's walking towards me, one of the students. And he's looking at his phone. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm good. He doesn't see me. I'm just going to sneak around him, give him a wide berth. He totally saw me. And he was looking at his phone. And when he saw me, he didn't say a word. All he did was look me up and down and just went, <laughs> And then he just kept going. And I think, okay, that's a little embarrassing. I can deal with that, whatever. So I get to campus services. I knock on the door frantically. I'm like, hey, help me out, help me out. This guy comes and he sees me and he's just like, what, like, what is going on? Why are you here in a towel? And he's like, can I help you? And I said, yeah, man, I'm locked out of my room. You gotta help me. Like, I'm freaking out. I got a quiz in like 45 minutes. Please help me. Just take me back to the room and unlock the door. I'll never bother you again, please. He takes his deep sigh because he's so annoyed and he leaves. And I'm thinking he's gonna call the police. He's gonna call the dean. I'm gonna get kicked out of school. Everything's terrible. He comes back with keys and we walk back to the dorm side by side in complete silence because he hates me. So we get back to the dorm, he puts the key in, he turns it, and I'm thinking, okay, we're home free, everything's great. And right as he's about to open it, he stops, and he looks at me, and he says, what would you have done had I not been there? And I'm thinking, is this a riddle, man? I'm half naked, can we just go inside? <laughs> and he says, what would you have done had I not been there? You would have been locked out, what would you have done? And I said, I, I, don't, I didn't really think that far ahead. And he smirked, and he said, you don't strike me as the kind of guy that does. He opened the door, I went inside, and we never saw each other again. <laughs> so that was me 10 years ago. And if you want to know how much can change in the passage of a decade, I go from being that bonehead 10 years ago to being a bonehead now who is married. She got the short end of the stick. I am now a father to two little girls, which is terrifying that I'm in charge of raising any kids. And I am now a campus pastor at one of the campuses for the 98th largest church in the United States of America, charged with the spiritual care and reformation of an entire community of people. So if you didn't know that God had a sense of humor before, now you do. <laughs> and that's all fun and that's all well and good. And I'm sure you guys have stories that you can relate to, how you've changed in a decade. I can't imagine some of the crazy fun things that you've seen and the, the ways that you've changed. And, and it's awesome. And it's good to laugh about stuff like that. But as we look back, we could probably all agree that there, are, there probably are some areas where we've fallen a little short some opportunities that we maybe didn't see, some things we wish we would have done a little bit differently, different choices that we made, but we didn't quite do what we wanted to do. And here's the thing about the passage of time when it comes to a decade. Time passes and not much changes when it comes to our lives. It is our actions and habits, the choices that we make that actually change things. That's where you see the real change throughout the passage of time. Time really does nothing. Things will happen, and these things and these new bits of technology will happen, but when it comes to actual real change in our life, it's about what we do, what we say, the things that we choose to engage in. I don't know if you guys had seen this, but the University of Scranton 
had a study where they found that 92% of people, 92% of people don't complete their goals. That's kind of heartbreaking. Like you set a goal, 92% of people are not knocking it out, which is kind of hard. And that goes for New Year's resolutions, new goals, whatever it may be, 92%. And this guy, Douglas Vermeeren, did a study and he found that they fell into all different types of categories. Like people fell in these certain groups of why they didn't accomplish their goal. Maybe it's a fear of success or a fear, a fear of failure. Talk about failure a lot. Nobody wants to be embarrassed. Nobody wants to fall short. But fear of success is a little bit different because now once you succeed a little bit, now there's more pressure. Now there's more expectation. People expect more out of you. And some people are afraid of that. They don't want that. They just want to kind of fly under the radar and do their own thing. Some people have a lack of know-how. They don't know how to get to where they want to go. They don't have the right people around them, the right resources, the right books, videos, YouTube links, whatever it may be. They don't have the information to get them from A to B. Some people lack discipline. They know what they want to do and they start off really strong. They've got a lot of intensity at the beginning, but they fizzle out because when things get tough, when things don't go their way or those little things pop up along the road, they quit. They bail because they don't have the discipline to persevere and push through. Some people lack the motivation, the desire. They just sit and they wait too long. They think, they think, they think, and they never follow through. They never execute. Some people lack a plan. They're action-oriented. They love to do things, but they never take the time to stop and think, okay, what if I organize it this way, this way, this way? Then I can get going. Then I can get moving. And then finally, some people they found felt unworthy of their goal, which I think is a very real thing, especially for us in church. Maybe you online at the microsites or multi-sites feel this way as well. Maybe you feel unworthy of your goal, especially when it comes to your walk with God. Because we'll hear people all the time, man, I really, this year, I want to I read my Bible every day. I want to start coming to church more regularly. You know, I want to get in a small group. I want to serve. But then they start replaying all the things they've done throughout their lives, all the choices they've made, the crimes they've committed, the people they've hurt, the relationships that they've severed. And they think, I'm unworthy of that. What would God ever want to do with me? Why would I ever be it? Why am I worthy enough to chase that goal? So they leave it and they don't do anything about it. And then here we sit 10 years later, another decade passes, 12.5% of our life passes by and we're in the same spot or maybe we're a little bit worse in some areas. Why is this so important? Why are we talking about this today? Why are we talking about this in church? Because the thing is, at the, at the end of the next decade, I don't want you to be in this spot. I don't want you to be unworthy of your goal when it comes to following God or whatever it is. Because at the end of the next decade, it's not going to be 12.5%. Because now it's going to be two decades. That's going to be 25%. That's going to be a quarter of your life that has passed you by. And the last thing I want is for you to look back and say, man, 20 years, still doing the same stuff. Still making the same choices. So how do we make this the best decade of our lives up to this point? How do we honor God with our choices, with our habits, and with our actions? Well, I got three big ideas for you. The first thing starts with a little bit of evaluation. Evaluation, that is in your notes. Now, I know some of you are beating yourself up right now, and you're thinking, man, I am in the same spot. I have regressed a little bit. You know, I've fallen short. It's because of the choices I've made, and you're doing that thing where you're letting the guilt start to pound you into the ground. Don't do that. Because the only way that it's a loss, the only way it's a failure is if you don't learn from it and if you, and if you quit and if you give up, but you're not going to do that. Because we're going to evaluate, we're going to get better, and we're going to move forward. Now, the first part of this evaluation process, you have to evaluate the past and some of the hard truths about the past 10 years. This is difficult. And this probably isn't going to feel very good. And that's okay. It's not meant to. Not everything is easy. But we're all going to go through it together. So now, when you evaluate some of the hard truths, you can get really specific with it. One area, for example, you could look at is your spending. You might not think it's a real big deal, those 5 to $10 decisions every day. Maybe you're stopping, you're getting the, the coffee in the morning, you're eating out every day, getting the polar pop from the gas station, buying the cigarettes, whatever it is. 
Those $10 decisions every day. We don't think they're a big deal. But after a week, $10 a day, it's about 70 bucks. When you factor that out and you multiply that every week for a year, that's $3,640. Multiply that by a decade, that's $36,400 based on a $10 a day decision. And we'll have couples here that are saying, you know what, we're making pretty good money, but we always get in arguments because we don't know where the money's going. That happens a lot, especially with married couples. Where's the money going? What's happening? It's those little $10 decisions compounded over time where if you don't stop and you look back and evaluate, then you're never going to understand what's happening with your life. And that can apply to anything, other hard truths in your life. So maybe you're the type that's drinking a little too much and you don't realize that if you keep drinking, you're going to lose your family because they're going to bail because they're not going to put up with it. Or maybe you keep taking pills, you keep smoking, you keep doing whatever you're doing. You're not going to be able to hold down a job because you'll keep failing drug test after drug test. You keep talking to your spouse the way that you're talking to and they're going to bail because they're not going to stand for that. You don't spend time with your kids day after day after day and you're too plugged into your phone to realize the amazing things that they're doing and your relationship's going to keep growing more and more distant. Those are some hard truths that you have to examine because if left unchecked, those are the things that will start to compound and make the biggest difference in your life. Even spending time apart from God. Yeah, I missed the Bible reading today. I didn't really dive into scripture today. Then that day becomes a week. Those weeks become months. Those months become years. And now you've never felt further away from God. That's a hard truth. Second thing we have to evaluate, we have to evaluate the person you are against the person you want to become. You know, we talk about comparison a lot here because it truly is the thief of joy. And we love to compare ourselves to anybody and everybody, especially on social media. If they've got more money and more time in us, we will compare ourselves to them. Why don't I have an eight pack? Well, it's because you know, I'm 19 hours a day to work out and eat clean. Like that's reality. Compare yourself to who you are and who God is calling you to be. Your time, your resources, your abilities, your potential. Don't put so much pressure on yourself. You've got to evaluate who you are in the context of your own life and who God wants you to be. And one way we can do this is we need to evaluate through the lens of Scripture. Some of you are thinking, well, how do you do that? I'm new. I just started coming here. I just accepted somebody's invitation. How do I evaluate my life and the things I've done through the lens of Scripture? How am I supposed to use this to do that? Well, if we go to 2 Timothy, it's got some advice on this. It says, all Scripture is inspired by God. In some translation, it says it is God-breathed and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. So if you're looking for a little direction, you're looking for reproof, correction, and training, this is a good spot to go. It corrects us when we are wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. So for example, if you're the type of person who thinks back on your life and you're like, you know what, I've been bitter. I haven't really been loving people well. I haven't been treating people well. I haven't been forgiving I haven't been the type of person who's offered mercy. I haven't been gracious to people. And I just want to love people better. How can I do that? One example I want to, want to look at is Luke 10. So if you have your Bibles with you today, or you got like a fancy new Bible for Christmas and you brought it with you, or if you've got your phone or your app, you can pull this up. But at the end of Luke 10, 25, the subheading is the most important commandment. So if you're looking for a place to start, this is probably it. It says, one day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus. In some translation, it says to trap Jesus with this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? I love that Jesus asked that question because it's like he's putting it back on him. He's like, okay, expert of religious law, you tell me what you think it says. And the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. We have heard that before. If you're new, those will be the most important commandments. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, 
And who is my neighbor? You can almost hear the undercurrent of arrogance. He's being condescending when he says that. Okay, Jesus, well, who's my neighbor? He's trying to test him. He's trying to trap him. So Jesus uses this illustration of the good Samaritan. So the illustration uses this guy's walking down the road, this Jewish man walking down the road from Jerusalem to Jericho by himself, minding his own business, and he gets jumped by a group of bandits, and they tune him up bad. They beat him bloody, they rob him, they rip his clothes off, they leave him naked for dead at the side of the road. We think this guy's toast, we think he's dead. But three people pass him by. The first guy is a priest. Now he should know how to love people, he should know how to treat people, he should know better, and he should tend to this guy's wounds, he should help him, but he doesn't, he leaves him, he walks right on by. Second person that walks by is a temple assistant. Number two, he's in the temple all the time, he's helping out, he should know how to love and treat people, right? Nope, crosses the street, walks, leaves him in the dust. The third guy that comes up, this is the parable of the good Samaritan in the text that says he is a despised Samaritan. He is loathed. He is hated. And yet he still has compassion. He still has empathy for this guy who has been beaten and bloodied and left for dead. And he tends to him. He cares for him. He pours olive oil and wine on his wounds. He goes the extra mile. He takes him to a hotel. He takes him to the inn in the next town. He, He puts him up in bed. And he doesn't just leave him. He cares for him. And when it's time for him to go, he goes down to the innkeeper and he slides two pieces of silver across the desk. And he says, if, this, if the cost to take care of this man exceeds these two pieces of silver, you put it on my tab, I'll pay it, I'm good for it the next time I'm around. So Jesus tells the guy this story and he says, now based on that, based on those three people who passed this person by, the person on the ground, who was the neighbor? And the expert of religious law says, the one who showed that man mercy. And Jesus, the expert, the master of the mic drop, said this, yes, now go and do the same. So you want to use this as a way to evaluate your life, the decisions you're making, the measuring stick you should be using for how to live, how to treat people, how to love, how to love God, how to love others, how to serve them. Don't compare yourself to Instagram. Compare yourself to this standard because it's all right here and you can dive in it anytime you like. That's part of the evaluation. And if we don't evaluate, Throughout this process, we don't evaluate the last 10 lives. Here's what can happen. Mark Twain said it this way. The best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. So we are doomed to repeat the mistakes of our past if we do not get this right. In Psalms 119, it says, I pondered the direction of my life and I turned to follow your laws. So as you're thinking, as you're evaluating, as you're pondering the direction of your life, we talk about the turn all the time, that repentance, turn and turn to follow Christ. Stop trying to follow the ways of the world. It's not going to work out for you. You're just going to be back in the same place in the next 10 years that you are right now. And that leads us to step two today, which would be the motivation step. Motivation. It's important to be motivated. It's important to find a goal. It's important to find something that motivates you, grabs you, it gets in your gut, and it becomes personal and you can internalize it. That's a big deal. So I'm going to share something with you guys. It's a little personal thing about me, and this is something that motivates me day in and day out. So about three and a half to four years ago, I was the heaviest I'd ever been in terms of body weight. So imagine what I look like now, and I know I, need, I still need to lose weight. I get that. I'm working on it. It's a process. But imagine what I look like now plus like 40 pounds. So it was not a good situation. I was in grad school full-time. I was working full-time. I was traveling back and forth for work like two and a half months out of the year in a rental car. We had just had a newborn. We're up late. I'm grabbing, eating anything and everything, whatever's convenient, not thinking, not being disciplined, nothing. And I'm laying in bed one night, and my heart is just pounding inside my chest. Like I'm laying still. I shouldn't be stressed out about anything. Can't get my heart to stop beating. And my left arm starts tingling, which is a bad thing. 
Because anything you read says, man, you're having a heart attack. You need to get to the hospital like right now. So I did. I told my wife, I went to the hospital. And I'm laying in bed. The doctor comes in and I'm panicking. I'm like, dude, what's wrong with me? He said, well, you're not having a heart attack. Your blood pressure's way too high. You're way too heavy. Uh, you need to eat better. You need to work out more. You need to stop stressing out about things. Get out. <laughs> so now, for me, that has become very motivating. And I talk to people all the time, like, hey, man, you look like you work out. Do you like to work out a lot? Yeah, I do. And I'm not working out five to six days a week because of vanity. I'm not trying to look like the rock. I'm trying to not die. That would be the purpose for that. <laughs> and it's kind of morbid to think about, but I've got a wife I've got two beautiful little girls. I want to serve them as long as possible. And for whatever reason, God has blessed me to be put in a position where it's my job to serve and love this particular community. And I want to do it for as long as he will have me. So in order to do that, and I am now motivated to take better care of myself. That is my motivation. What is yours for your goal, for what you're chasing? And is what you're chasing a dream or is it a goal? Paul Levesque, who you might know as Triple H from the WWE, has this to say about the difference between a dream or a goal. A dream is something you fantasize about that isn't going to happen. A goal is something you set a plan, work for, and you achieve. And part of this process is that you have to set a goal that motivates you. Set goals that motivate you. So whenever you start this process, get something that fires you up, that's personal, that is going to keep you going day after day after day when the time gets hard, when things pop up. Now, after you do this, motivation alone is not going to work. It requires discipline and it requires planning. So the planning process I want you guys to think about today, I know people talk about SMART goals a lot, especially if you're in education, and SMART goals are fine. What I want to share with you is something a little bit different. It's from a book titled Extreme Ownership. It's written by two guys named Jocko Willink and Leif Babin. Jocko is blown up in society right now. He's got his own podcast, clothing line, jiu-jitsu practitioner, real big on social media. He was a Navy SEAL commander, used to train Navy SEALs, so this is a bad dude. And Leif Babin is exactly the same. I don't know quite as much about him. But in this book, it details a process that the Navy SEALs use whenever they're selecting missions and whether they're moving forward. So I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but I do have some points that I think would be helpful for you when it comes to planning your mission. And the first step is simply to analyze your mission. Analyze what that might be. And this is a fill-in in your notes. You've got to find a mission that is personal. You need to identify it, analyze it, write it down. Know what your mission is. So I analyze your mission. Step two, identify your assets. And what might those be? It might be money. It might be time. It might be the resources around you. It might be the people that can help you get from where you are to where you want to be. Identify those assets. Then once you do that, step three, determine your plan. And as you determine your plan, I would encourage you to make it specific and encourage you to make it simple so that you don't forget it, so that it's not too muddy. And so as you get into the weeds, you can remember exactly what it is and remember why you're doing it. Going back to that motivation piece. Step four, plan for contingencies. Plan for bad things to happen. Plan for bumps in the road. There are going to be things that are going to pop up that are going to knock you off your path. So with me, for the weight loss, whatever it is, what if we go out to eat? What if there's like a giant ham in front of me at Christmas? What if I have to travel a lot? What if we do this, that, or the other? Plan for those things. Don't let them surprise you. Step five, mitigate your risks. Mitigate meaning to lessen the severity of. So an example I can use when I talk about this is maybe it's your Bible reading. You want to go from reading the Bible 0.0, .0 times a week and you want to start reading it a little bit more. Maybe your goal is, I want to read it every day, seven days a week. Okay, that's a big risk for you. We had a guy in our small group that wanted to do the exact same thing. So what we suggest is, okay, instead of doing it seven days a week, do it three. Better yet, do it two. 
And do it consistently, week in and week out. And as you grow in confidence, you lessen that risk, you take more risk, then you read it three days, then you read four days. It's completely changed his life and the way he integrates scripture into his day-to-day activities, all by mitigating that risk. Last step, check and question. Check and question your plan as you receive new information. This is important because your plan might adapt. Things might adapt. Things might happen. And you might be in a different spot, so you've got to adapt and roll and move through it. Why is it so important to plan this way? Bill Gates would say this. He would say, most people overestimate what they can do in one year and underestimate what they can do in 10, which is why the failure rate for goals is so high right now. People get so excited about that, year, that beginning of year goal and they get so hyped up and they overestimate it, but they underestimate what they can do if they just had a little bit of planning and just had a little bit of consistency and they just incorporated God into it along the way. Proverbs says this about your planning. Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity. So you want to get to where you want to go? It takes hard work, but more importantly, it takes good planning. Hasty shortcuts, take, taking the short way, taking that short route out of it, trying to buzz through it completely, that's going to lead you straight into poverty. We can't overlook this hard work aspect, which leads us to step three. This would be the execution step. This is one of my favorite steps. Another way of saying this is now it's time to do it. Amelia Earhart was the first woman to fly solo across the Atlantic Ocean. She is a bad woman. And this is a great quote from her. She said, the most effective way to do it is to do it. I love that. So good. She just makes it so simple. Here's the thing about execution. To execute something means to do something until it is finished. Nobody lives through an execution. You go until it is done. So to do this means you need to take the step. You need to get out of the planning phase, get out of the evaluation stage, and now it's time for you to do what you know you need to do. Don't get paralyzed by all the information. Don't get paralyzed by having the most efficient plan. Is this the best way I could do this? Is this the best way? that? Don't worry about that. A good plan today is better than the perfect plan tomorrow. Take one step, take short, consistent steps, and you will get to where you want to go, whether it's with your walk with Christ, your walk with your finances, your kids, whatever it may be. Bruce Lee had this to say about consistency. He said, long-term consistency trumps short-term intensity. You want your goals to last this year throughout the next 10 years? Keep it consistent over the long-term, little steps day by day, and you will get to where you want to go. And finish Finish what you start. Like this is biblical. In Ecclesiastes 7, 8, it says finishing is better than starting. Finish what you set out to do. Don't just be part of the 92% who over the next 10 years say, yeah, I started a lot of stuff. I had the best intentions. And here's the most important thing in Proverbs 16, 3. I want you you to read this. I want you to circle it. I want you to highlight it. Whatever you got to do to remember this. Because ultimately, ultimately at the end of the next 10 years, if you evaluate as best as you can, if you get motivated, if you have a good plan, if you're disciplined through the tough times, and if you really work and you really execute, you're going to see some change and good things might happen for you. You might have more money than you ever did before. You're in a great spot with your savings, paying for college, whatever it is. You might have a great relationship with your kids or your spouse. Communication's never been better. You might have a better job. Now you're doing something that really makes you happy, really do, doing something that fires you up in the morning. Whatever it might be, you might be in a good spot in 10 years. But if you do not commit to the Lord, whatever you do, and allow him to establish your plans, if you don't commit to allow him to to glorify him for the next 10 years, to truly connect with him and allow him to guide your path and allow him to guide your steps, man, it's all going to feel hollow. It's all going to feel meaningless. It's all going to feel empty because at the end of it, what's it all for? So you get the new job. Cool. 
So you got a great relationship. That's awesome. So you win this game. You win this title. Neat. But at the end along the way, if you haven't glorified God, if you haven't lifted him up, if you haven't made him number one, if you're not trying to reach people and tell people about Jesus Christ, if you're not trying to support people and love people the way the despised Samaritan love, the dude had been jumped on the road, if we're not trying to love people like that, what is it all going to mean in 10 years? What's it all going to mean in 20 years? The relationships and the way that you love people and the way that you honor God along the way, that's going to make the difference. And that's what's going to propel you to have your best decade ever. And when you talk about the passage of time and all these things that happen, I kind of gave you a funny example of how I was a bonehead 10 years ago. But 10 years ago, like I was thinking about this, I didn't know Jesus Christ. I hadn't made the decision to trust in, in Jesus Christ back in 2010. I had no idea who he was. I was just graduating college. I was lost. I had no direction, nothing. I wasn't praying. I wasn't reading. I wasn't journaling. I wasn't doing anything. I wasn't even going to church. Then my best friend invited me to come check out this church in central Indiana, so I gave it a shot. And then right there in that section, I always used to sit in the upper deck. That's where I started to listen, and that's where I started to learn. My wife gave me my first, like, real Bible in 2012, the day that we got married. And ever since then, this, this book and this path and this walk with Jesus has been such an integral part of how I live my life and how I engage with people, how I think about myself, how I think about others, how I'm supposed to treat people, what I'm doing with my life. I never thought in a million years that I would be in this spot, in this position. And I have no idea what God has planned for you. I have no idea what he wants to do with your life. But I can tell you this, if you take those short, consistent steps with him, and if you just trust in him and you agree to ride with him throughout the next year, the next 10 years, man, your life is gonna change in ways that I cannot even express. And so for some of you today, maybe you've spent whatever percentage of your life without Jesus. For me, when I accepted Christ, statistically, I'd spent 29% of my life without him. When I made the decision to trust in him, I decided I was not gonna spend another day without him, without listening to him, without learning from him. And if you're new today or if you've been here for a while and you haven't made that decision yet, I would encourage you to do it. And some of you might not know, you might not understand it yet. You might feel something stirring inside you. You might've heard about this man named Jesus over the holiday season who lived a perfect sinless life. He was born as an infant. He rose into adulthood and about 33 years into his existence, he chose to sacrifice his perfect sinless life on a cross, subject himself to mockery and torture, the likes which we have not seen in quite some time. He had all the power available to him in the universe and he chose to be a man to stand right next to you and me to serve us and to show us what it means to love one another. That's what he did. And he gave it all up. He sacrificed his life so that we didn't have to pay the penalty for our sin, so that we didn't have to face eternal separation from God, our Father. That's what he did. And three days later, he rises from the grave, conquering sin and death. And you have the opportunity to step into a relationship with that very same individual today. And what I would encourage you to do is I would encourage you to go to him right now. And I know some of you feel unworthy. We talked about that earlier, and I get that. You feel like no one has committed sin on the level that you have. No one has committed the crimes that you've done. No one has said the things you've said or hurt the people you've hurt. I want you to do me a favor. Everybody that's watching online, multi-site, microsite, online, whoever, and everybody here, if you are a sinner, lift your hand up. Hold it here for just a second, because I want people to see this that have not chosen to trust in Christ yet. Okay, drop them. You are not 
alone. You're not. We are just a collection of broken, sinful people who are trying to honor God with everything that we can. So you trust in that today. You go to Jesus Christ right now. Don't worry about the church. Don't worry about Emmanuel. Don't worry about all that other drunk. You worry about going to Jesus right now. You ask him for forgiveness for your sins and you tell him you want to live with him forever. You want to follow him and you believe in him. You believe in the crucifixion. I'll say this simple prayer. You take these words, make them your own. Bow your heads, please. Jesus, I come to you and I acknowledge what you did for me on the cross. I know that you died for me. Jesus, I know that you died for me so I don't have to spend eternity apart from God. I know that you rose again three days later. You conquered the penalty of sin and death. You took that from me. And Jesus, I come to you begging for forgiveness for my sins. Wash me, cleanse me, and show me what it means to follow you for the rest of my life. Jesus, I love you so much, and I'm so thankful for your sacrifice. It's in your name I humbly pray. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer, whether you're online, multi-site, micro-site, right here at our Greenwood campus, can we give it up for these people who made this decision? We're so happy for you. Man. Hey, if you just pray this prayer, if you could do us a favor, text the word SAVE to 65248, and I'm gonna tell you why, because we wanna put one of these in your hand. If you have prayed this prayer, text SAVE to 65248, go back to the New Believer kiosk located in the back of the auditorium, wherever you are. If you're online, drop us a comment. We'll actually mail you one of these boxes. Inside is a new Bible for you, free from us, a 30 days with Jesus reading plan, so you can take those consistent steps and walk with him, and a cup, just because we love you and just because we care about you. So hey, let's give it up one more time for Jesus and the way he's moving in this church.